Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. This episode of Health Bite is sponsored by Dell Nutrition, a line of functional nutrition bars and supplements I have personally curated to enhance health and well-being. You can find out more at dellnutrition.com. Welcome back to Health Bite, our podcast where we discuss all things health and wellness. I'm so pleased today to have Dr. Moose Lee, who is founder of Holistic Health and Healing, a medical and coaching practice focusing on health, wealth, and relationships through energy medicine, also known as Dr. Mo. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. It's awesome being here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And so let's start with this very foundational question. What is energy medicine? I get that question a lot. And the reality is, is that energy is all around us, right? You know, oftentimes we don't see it, but the reality is, is whether or not we say we believe it or not, but every time we order an MRI, every time we order an EKG or an EEG, we believe in energy medicine, right? Because those machines are picking up the energetic waves in our bodies, you know, EMGs also, you know, there's so many medical tests that are literally picking up the energy that our bodies are emitting, you know, and we know that our bodies wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for mitochondria. The other example I love to give is how do we know that life even starts? It starts with that heartbeat and the heart has its own electrical system that you could take the heart out of a body and it would still beat. It's this intrinsic energy that's in the heart. And that's really where I do my focus work on that energy that's really emitting from our heart center. And so if we believe that everything, all of who we are is energy, then we're completely ignoring a whole other aspect of the body when we're operating in medicine without even addressing that. And so energy is really looking at the other parts of the body that are emitting energy. And so some people will do this by acupuncture, right? That's just another way that we can manipulate the energy system in our body, you know, for healing purposes. We can do this with Reiki when we look at the chakras and every chakra has a different focus for healing and what it can do. Energy also means being able to tune into our intuition. You know, there's nobody who doesn't have a gut feeling. We all have that gut feeling and it's just intuition. is just being able to turn up the knob on that. And so when we can really marry traditional medicine and incorporate the energetic body that we all have, for me, that's when medicine really gets fun and exciting and true healing really occurs because the truest sense, you know, going back to that heart center, even our emotions emit energy. You know, think about in the office when somebody walks in in a bad mood or somebody walks in in a really fantastic mood, they just won something. And they're like, everybody in the office knows it, right? Everyone can feel that excitement and everyone can feel when you're in a crappy mood. You don't have to tell people you're going through a divorce. Believe me, people know something is happening, right? Or even when you can feel somebody looking at you, it's like, we feel those emotions. It's the butterflies in our belly, you know? And so Healing has to do with addressing those emotions because it's really how energy flows instead of stuffing it in. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I think for people who might be hearing this, it might land two ways. I'm sure that there's a group or a cohort of people who, you know, will say, yes, that sounds lovely and beautiful. And there may be a group that are think it's really woo-woo, right? Like, what's this woman saying? 
but I want you to tell us your origin story because you came from a, in an academic practice from a different place. So talk a little bit about what brought you to this place of energy medicine and healing. You know, I'm a traditional scientist. <laughs> so I went to Ivy League Medical School, University of Pennsylvania. I trained at two Ivy League hospitals, Columbia and Cornell University hospitals. And my first job out, I was in academic medicine. I was faculty back at UPenn. I was the director of cancer rehabilitation. And so I'm a scientist, you know, I've published research studies. I believe in things making sense. And so if you had told me back then that I'd be where I am right now, I would have said, no way, those, those woo-woo people, those wackos, right? I, I, I literally was in that group, you know? And I mean, I even have memories of when I was the director of cancer rehab at UPenn, I would be on a lot of different panels talking to patients and, you know, because cancer rehab is relatively new. A lot of people don't know exactly what that is. And so I'd be talking about my field and my very niche subspecialty of the help patients with cancer really rehab and get back to doing the things that they loved before cancer interrupted. Because rehab is really like a holistic medicine, right? It's very different from traditional fields like cardiology and different medical fields that are focused on one organ. We really look at the whole body. I mean, we focus on the muscular skeletal bone structures, but it's really how does this impact somebody's quality of life? And on that same panel, I'd have you know, one lady who is the owner of the Reiki school, because in our cancer center, they provided free Reiki even. And I was like, what is she talking about? And no matter how many panels we sat on after the, you know, I worked at Penn for five years. It's like, I, I still had no idea what Reiki was, what she did, how it could help people. Like I was just completely tuned out. Like talk about being in it and just being like completely unaware and wanting nothing to do with it. So I completely tuned it out despite being on so many panels together. I had my own awakening. You know, I went through a personal struggle and received coaching and ended up becoming a relationship coach, which helped me so much. I became a relationship coach because it transformed my marriage. And so I wanted to help so many other women. And in doing so, it really just opened up a whole different part of me because it really taught me how to truly love myself, how to be vulnerable, how to really feel and identify my emotions. And I just was never that person. I was all science. When people used to ask me, how are you doing today? I would get so confused. Like, what do you mean? It's, it's another day. I just was completely numb emotionally. And so by going through that coaching and ultimately becoming a coach, it really helped me tap into a part of myself that was completely foreign to me, which truly transformed my whole life in so many different ways in all of my relationships and allowed me to really tap into my dreams and my, my heart, which led me to actually leave academics. If you told me I'd leave academics, I'd say, no way. I had no interest in going into private practice. I had no interest being an entrepreneur. I would have stayed at Penn forever. You know, what's funny as I hear you say that we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, kind of our being in alignment together and our and actually parallel lives. Because I remember when I started in academic medicine, they used to make you fill out your retirement, right? And you had to decide whether you would leave, you know, before 65, or you thought you would stay and, you know, cash out at the end of 65. And, and you had to kind of 
qualified the path towards retirement. And I was the same. I mean, I was like, I'm here for until at least 65, you know. And so it's interesting, so many of us who really believe in science and and Western medicine, which we both strongly do and practice, have come to this place of how incorporating, whether it's holistic practices or maybe integrative practices or kind of the other side and how bringing that in truly gives people a full component towards a process toward healing. You had shared an anecdote, but I'm interested in how even to common symptoms where we may think it's just medical, right? How this might be relevant. When I had that personal transformation, it transformed me as a doctor. I completely changed how I practice medicine. Like I was just filled with this intense feeling like there's an elephant in the room, like what is going on? And eventually realizing the elephant in the room is self-love. And all of these patients I'm seeing, they're having all these different symptoms, all these pain from this, pain from that. It doesn't really matter. The commonality was that there was a deficiency of self-love in all of these patients that I was seeing. And so I said, what would happen? I'm going to do an experiment. If instead of prescribing something, instead of doing what I would normally do, send them to therapy or do this, let's do work up. I'm going to just give them a self-love practice and show them how to love themselves and have them come back in a few weeks and see how they are. And then based on that, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever makes sense to do. So for all of my patients who took on my challenge and, and some of them were patients I had been following for years, I taught them what to do. And they came back and all of them came back saying, oh my gosh, my pain is 50%, 75%, even completely gone. It totally took away so much of their pain. And they're like, and not only that, I feel better. I'm sleeping better. I've lost weight. And you know what? Me and my husband, we seem to be getting along better and we're happier and I'm not fighting with my kids anymore. They came back like totally new people. Like I didn't even recognize some of them because their appearance had changed so much. And so that's the moment that I said that I can't keep doing medicine the way that I've been doing it. Something has to change. You know, it's interesting because I think I, like you, if I had heard this several years ago, it really would have landed wrong. And I would just think that was a a bunch of stuff, but it's true that self-love and, and, you know, if you want to refine it a little bit further, self-compassion practices, there is an abundance of scientific data that shows that it is effective in improving people's health and well-being. Even something as granular as like improving pain scores, like you mentioned, or in some cases, meditation around self-compassion or bringing down blood pressure. And, And so there really is very physiologic changes that occur. So I'm curious, how did you make this practical for your patients? So I'm pretty sure you didn't say, hey, sister, why don't you practice some self-love and come back? Because we get deer in the headlights. You know, I just explained to them. I, 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 I use the term self-care. I think people can stomach that a little bit, right? Because then it kind of puts the focus on, okay, what am I going to do? And people can wrap their heads around that. Okay, what am I going to do for self-care? But really self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance is the end result of creating a habit of doing self-care practices. And so I tell women to brainstorm. And it's great if you grab a girlfriend or two and say, let's just brainstorm. We're going to write out all the things that make us feel great, that give us, you know, like Maria Kondo, you know, that sparks joy in the moment, right? And just 
jot them down, get at least 25, and then get out your calendar and decide which three of those things you're going to do every single day for the next 21 days to make it a habit. And really schedule it out, plan it out so that you know at this time on this day, you're going to be doing this activity, which is going to bring you joy. And to actually be intentional about it as you and mindful as you step into that moment that now I'm about to do my self-care and really fully be present. It's completely transformative and it sounds so simple. So what are examples of some of the things that your patients would do for that practice? So it could be as simple as enjoying their favorite beverage alone in privacy and peace and quiet. You know, whether that means waking up a little bit earlier than everyone, maybe it's going to bed a little bit later, whatever it means, but just finding a little bit of peace quiet. Like I know for me, I love to laugh. Laughter to me is the best medicine, but I don't necessarily have time to watch a full two hour movie. Right. But I can listen on my car drive to Sirius XM comedy station and just get snippets of different stand-up lives and just spend my whole drive to work laughing or just watching my favorite, you know, part of a comedy movie just to watch that, you know, that big punchline that you enjoy watching just so that you can laugh and be intentional about laughing every day. Or, you know, we're, we're in a couple of Facebook groups together and some of them have like meme days. And whenever there's like those big meme posts, like I would make sure I would read those posts like in between patients even. So that in between each patient, I'm laughing and smiling and just having a moment for me. Because, you know, I, at the time I was in academics, I was working with a lot of people with chronic pain and cancer. And I want to point that out because I'm somebody who's already the TLC doctor. Like I was known there, like whoever needed TLC, whoever needed extra time and care, I was the doctor that everyone sent, you know, their patients to. If nobody else could figure out how to fix them, like I was the fourth opinion doctor that they would send their patients to. So I already had that really deep connection with my patients. And even still, when I incorporated this practice, it deepened my connection with my patients on a completely different level. Like, it's like, wow, like I, I know, cause I've always known my patients as people as opposed to like patients first. So I know like, oh, they're married, they have kids, they have this going on in their lives. And then when they really opened up to me, it's like, wow, I didn't even know that you had so much more. Because the reality is, is that whatever they're complaining about, it's a symptom of some trauma or wounding that's happening in their life. So when people come and tell me what's happening in their life, uh, you know, like their chief complaint, right? That's what we call it in medicine, you know, whatever, you know, they're, I'm having pain, I'm having this symptom, I'm having that symptom. And I say, and what's going on at home? It is true that, of course, we don't want to dismiss kind of the organic etiology of things. And so the pain in your example, you were working with cancer patients. So certainly there was like physical organic pain maybe related to their cancer or to their therapies. But we know that even in that circumstance, like pain scores, right, come down with these practices. I want you to share an anecdote, but I'm just thinking over the course of my own practice common things are GI issues, like, you know, gut issues, a lot of times bloating or nausea or reflux or just abdominal discomfort or abnormal bowel movements are kind of a manifestation of underlying anxiety. You know, so these are things that commonly come up. 
And they very well may have reflux that could be benefited with a PPI. <laughs> but adding to that, the ways of which they deal with the underlying or root cause will only help them go further in helping that symptom. The one that really stands out to me is, and I wrote about this in my book that comes out next month, Hungry for More, there was a patient who had vertigo. So the room was spinning and she even ended up going to Mayo Clinic. And I mean, really was like going around the country, trying to figure out what was going on. And all the testing revealed nothing in terms of an organic cause. The vertigo got so bad that she had to quit work for a month. She was just debilitated. She couldn't work and decided to go to the Midwest where her parents had a cabin and started cooking and gardening and just kind of, you know, living. And lo and behold, the vertigo resolved. So, I mean, there are kind of concrete ways in which these symptoms improve, even if there's organic etiology. Absolutely. And yes, we, we always want to do work up and make sure there's not a bigger issue going on. But even like you said, even in treating these issues, you can also do this work and have them have far better outcomes. You know, I'm not taking my patients off chemo, right? It's, it's like, okay, you're going to do these treatments and we're going to incorporate these other symptoms so that we can manage it even better. In addition to the cancer patients, I worked with a lot of lymphedema patients. There are not too many people who specialize in that as well. The lymphatic system is the system that's responsible for removing fluid in your body, typically that carries the toxins out of the body. Most people don't even know it's there, it's working because it's working behind the scenes. But when it's not working, people get swollen limbs. Oftentimes, you know, like if you've had breast cancer and you have your lymph nodes removed, your arm might get really swollen. Or if it naturally just develops from hereditary, it usually occurs in the legs and they get a lot of swelling. So this person actually had something a little bit different. So she actually came in with lipedema, which is kind of like, we'll call it the stepsister illness to lymphedema. So it also looks, you know, similar in the sense that it's all swelling, right? In the legs, usually in the legs, also the upper bodies as well, if it progresses, but it's actually not a disorder of the lymph system. It's a disorder of the fat cells in the body that their bodies actually form abnormal fat cells. And because of that, it completely changes their subcutaneous tissue makeup and it makes it extremely difficult to lose weight. So it's not just fluid, extra fluid they're carrying, they're actually carrying extra fat. So it's a fat disorder. But some of the treatments get lumped into lymphedema because, you know, we can't always remove, we can't remove fat, but we can remove the fluid as much as we can. So that's usually the way we go for that treatment. She was over 400 pounds. She had tried all these different things. She had tried all these different weight loss programs. Like she had even done medical weight loss programs, never lost weight, could not move the pounds at all. So she came to me, you know, she's there with her husband. She looks miserable. Like she, I've ne I never initially for the first couple of years, like never saw her crack a smile. And, you know, she's telling me all these issues and da, 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 da. And, you know, and I just stop her and I'm just like, let's talk about the real issues, what's going on, you know, at home and different things. And that's when she starts crying and telling me 
how miserable she is in life. Like she, she wants a divorce. She's unhappy in her marriage. What she wants most in life is to be able to go to her son's baseball games, but she couldn't fit in the car and sit there long enough to watch the game. And so that was like her top goal, being able to go to her son's game. And so I said, okay, we're going to do the typical lymphedema treatment, you know, refer her to therapy, lymphedema therapy and all that, which is a physical therapy sort of a treatment. But I said, but in addition, I want you to try this practice. And she lived like two hours away. So it was really hard for her to get out to me. And so I said, we're going to see each other every four weeks. When she came back, she had lost weight for the first time. She was smiling. She was able to actually walk because before I was like, we can't do exercise for weight loss. She can barely stand, you know? And so she's like, I'm now walking around my coffee table for my exercise. Like you said, before I couldn't even do that. And now I'm actually walking outside and doing all these different things. And, you know, every month I had her come and in less than six months, she lost over a hundred pounds. We barely talked about diet or exercise. We focused on self-love. And so even in these difficult situations, so no matter what medical illness you're, you're, facing and no matter what the odds are and people are maybe telling you that it's not possible and you can't get better and you know you have to suffer you know you don't have to believe that healing is always possible it may not look the way that you're hoping for it to look but healing is always possible and so you know I give that to give people hope that even when there's a medical reason why somebody can't lose weight that when we focus on the energy and the emotions, amazing things happen. Yeah, that's pretty profound. And it's true that, I mean, in a way, it also lends itself to mindset work. There are these very interesting studies that associate uh, mindset with the ability to lose weight or not lose weight, or even just how you see the issue. So I talked about dietary setbacks in an Instagram post earlier this week, but you know, people who view dietary setbacks in a negative light or with shame or, you know, blame or those sorts of negative sentiments are less likely to go on to make positive lifestyle changes. Whereas those people who can see those setbacks as just kind of, you know, I did it, I enjoyed it and I move on, we're more likely to go on to make those changes. So there's actually a very practical point there that if your energy is spent in negative spaces, you don't have any availability to actually focus on the changes that you want to make, and therefore you won't make them. So it is very kind of, it's not wooey at all. It is very practical. Oftentimes we don't talk about wealth in terms of, you know, doctors are not talking about wealth. There is this interesting relationship in wealth and, and well-being, and not just that you get to buy fun stuff because you're wealthy, right? But can you, I mean, this is so off topic, but as in this podcast, we like to talk about, you know, healthy, actionable steps. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that and that connection as how you see it. What I've found. So, you know, even after becoming a coach, I've gone on to have my whole spiritual awakening and where I really do incorporate Reiki and Akashic record reads, be a part of the coaching and the medical work that I do. And so what I found in working with so many people over and over again is that there's a core wounding pattern that we all have. 
you know, and we don't have to have experienced significant trauma in our lives. You know, people think like, oh, I have to have had like something horrible happen to me in life. And it's like, no, we all have some pattern. And, you know, it's something that happened before the age of seven or eight. And it's something between our caregivers, our parents, and it's just, it forms how we see the world. And so it might be something like rejection. It might be abandonment. Maybe it's being bullied. You know, there's so many different ways that it can show up, but we just have this pattern where we repeat through life, right? So if it's like a rejection pattern, for instance, you're going to show up in grade school and all of a sudden people are going to start bullying you it follows you. You're going to, you know, get to the workforce and realize, why do I keep being overlooked for promotions? Again, it's that rejection wounding pattern. You know, you're going to get into relationships and people are going to leave you. And you're like, why does this keep happening to me? I keep getting into relationships with men who leave and never stay. And again, it's that rejection or abandonment wound. And imagine if we turn that around and look at our bodies, which is really our health, right? So if you have a rejection wounding pattern, for instance, you're going to reject your body. So this could show up as self-sabotage in your success. This could, your health goals, this could show up as immune issues, autoimmune issues, because that's when the body attacks itself. It's like a self-rejection, literally, when your, your body rejects its own cells, you know, in terms of money, it's going to show up as money comes. I, I Maybe I earn a ton of money, but it doesn't stay, right? So, you know, have you ever known people who they don't have any problem making money, but it's like, ah, my car just broke down. All that money I made out the window, right? It's like you can't hold on to it. Or, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, maybe it's that every sales call you get on, you keep hearing no's. And it's like, why do I keep feeling rejected over and over again. And people keep saying no to me. And so, you know, that's just one wounding pattern, but you can see how it can paint your entire life and how it will keep showing up. And so rather than keep dealing with the symptoms, okay, let's put you in relationship coaching and help you in this area. Let's get you, you know, a business coach that's going to help you with your business strategy, or let's get you a health coach that's going to help you, whatever it is, lose weight or whatever it is you're struggling with. Or why don't we just go to the core? And when I work in Akashic Records, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, it's all about the focus is getting to the root cause of the issue. It's like, I'm tired of dealing with superficial symptoms at this point. It's like, let's just go to the root. Let's, let's do this quick and easy. And so when we focus on healing that wounding pattern, that core wounding pattern, the end result is that you see the benefit in all of those different areas of your life. So first of all, it comes down to you no longer rejecting yourself, right? So how may that look like? That might look like always saying no to yourself, never allowing yourself to have the desires and the, you know, whatever it is that you'd really want. Like how many of us are like, oh, that's too expensive. I shouldn't spend that on me, but then we'll spend so much more on other people, right? Even coworkers, right? I mean, (laughs) I used to like during the holidays get frustrated because I'm like, I've spent more money on gifts for the office, my coworkers and staff 
that I have on myself or really my own family, right? How many of us do that all the time where we give to others really to make ourselves look good, right? Because we don't want to be rejected by them. We want to people please and be accepted all the while rejecting our own needs, rejecting our own feelings. Oh, it's okay. It's no big deal. And in reality, you're like, actually, it is a big deal, you know? And that really did hurt me. But again, like rejecting that and denying our own feelings, our own needs, our own desires. And so when we can really heal that relationship, then we have the ability to really have a ripple effect. And I just remember thinking earlier when you were talking about the whole, you know, different science and how emotions really have an effect on healing, you know, a study at Harvard showed that, you know, they followed people for like generations for like over 70 years. And the end result was that the number one correlation to good health was the quality of your relationships in your life. Well, what about this? The most important relationship in your life is the relationship you have with yourself because every other relationship is a mirror to that. And so that's where it really, I was just gonna say earlier, but you made the a perfect final point where it really leads back to self-love being at the core of all of that. You were gonna tell us a little bit more about the true energy work Talk a little bit about that in our in our last moments and what is it and how you utilize it. So Akashic Records, we all have it. A lot of people make an analogy to like a library or, you know, they call it like a book, but it's really the concept that this isn't just a single life, but in fact, we are a single soul experiencing many different lifetimes. And that was a jump for me because I didn't believe in past lives before and I'm very religious. And so for a long time, that didn't make sense to me until, you know, as I've inched more and more woo, understanding that we really have had multiple lifetime experiences here, but it's one soul. And so the Akashic Records is really a record of all the lives your soul has ever lived. And so when I talk about the core wounding pattern, and it's usually something that has happened before the age of seven, but the reality is, is that sometimes it happens even before that. It can happen in the womb, you know, when a mother is pregnant, because we know that when a woman is carrying a female baby, that baby has eggs in her ovaries that will be her future children. So three generations of people are there at the same time in space and energy structure. So if the mom has a traumatic event, it's something that can go on to future generations. And there are other ways that trauma is also passed along through the womb. Akashic Records also deals with the past lives, that sometimes we have had issues in past lives and we're coming here in this lifetime to reconcile those traumas, those wounding patterns. And so this is especially helpful for people who are like, I just don't know what it is. Like I've tried everything, but nothing seems to work. Oftentimes it's those people where they feel like, I just don't get why I do what I do and I can't stop and I can't really get a handle on it. Oftentimes it's something that's really beyond them. And it's really something that's coming in from a past life. And so when we have access to that, we really get to get to the root cause of whatever struggle you're dealing with and take care of it. And so to me, that is how we break through glass ceilings in our subconscious mind. It's like, if you feel like you are trying, efforting, doing everything you can, and you still can't make it work, it's because there's a glass ceiling 
in your subconscious. And through working in the Akashic Records, we can really work to remove that so that you can have your breakthrough and achieve whatever it is that you're working to achieve. You know, I want to, I mean, it's fascinating. And I want to put a little bit of a practical spin on that because that's how my Western-minded doctorness, you know, allows me to understand some of these things. And it's okay, I think, to be skeptical. I'm, I'm a little skeptical and I imagine people out there might be. But to put a practical spin on it, as you were talking, I was thinking about the Dutch famine studies, which I also talk about in my book. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's really quite fascinating that there was a Dutch famine in the 1940s, I believe. And so they kept really strict medical records of that time where these people were subjected to rationing very significant calorie restriction. And they compared the babies that were in utero during the Dutch famine compared to their siblings that were born either before or after. And they found that those that were in utero while they were exposed to famine went on to have a higher risk of nutritional issues, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. So there is this kind of link, even if you want to think very practical and don't want to think about past lives per se, of how your pedigree or your legacy affects you. And even if we don't believe in, you know, that very physical transformation, at the very minimum, we can believe in the fact that, you know, if our parents went through a famine or were immigrants or went through the Great Depression, that formed their thinking in a way that gets translated into how they raise us. And so even just that awareness, right, can help maybe uncover a place in which you're stuck and it is affecting your health. Absolutely. And, and there's so many other studies too that prove the whole concept of epigenetics of how trauma gets passed down into our cells. I know I, there was another study where I think it was monkeys that they had researched. You know, there was a loud sound where they did something that scared them. But in future generations, they would hit that same bell. They would get the same startle response, even though they were not exposed to the initial trauma. And so there's, there's just countless studies about epigenetics. And I agree that, you know, we kind of get into like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? It's like, is it the trauma that's affecting us? Or is it the trauma that affects how we raise our kids? And, you know, and I think it's both. I think it absolutely is both. And, you know, I think the Great Depression is a great example of that, about the families that came from that era were taught that you need to save, you need to plan for, you know, difficult days. And, you know, these are the baby boomers, right? Like they are end result of that. And so, so much of their thinking is so different to the millennials now, right? Which is totally like, you know, everybody gets a trophy. Everyone is a winner, live your best life, right? Like completely different. And, and that's the beautiful thing about society that it's always this cycle that, you know, there are going to be difficult times and that's going to create strong people. And those strong people, because they've protected and these people are now, they're securing their communities. They raised children who are so secure because they've never had to fight or worry. Life is a cycle and we are always the end result of the things that happen to us. And two people can have the same thing happen to them and have completely re different responses, right? Siblings are the perfect example. How you see the trauma is what makes all the difference, not the trauma itself, 
It's like your interpretation and meaning that you give to that event is really the basis of life in general. And I'd like to end on that note because it ends on a note of agency, right? Of being in the driver's seat, which I love. And thank you for this conversation. So for those of our listeners who are interested to learn more about you and your coaching, where is the best way to find you? On my website, Unleash the healing within.com. And you can read all about what I do and what I offer and about my book coming out also entitled Unleash the Healing Within. Thank you so much for being with us. I really enjoyed this conversation and I would urge our listeners to check you out on your website, look for that upcoming book. And also if you found this conversation valuable to subscribe, like, and share with others who might benefit as well. Dr. Mo, I loved having you. Maybe we'll talk again soon. I hope so. As always, thank you so much for listening. I love having you with me and sharing these conversations with you. I hope that you have taken away a health bite, a small actionable step that you can implement in your life to help improve your own health and well-being. If you want to know more about me or get more inspiration, please follow me on Instagram at Dr. Adrian Udeem. You can also join me on my website at dradrianudeem.com and look out for my book coming up, Hungry for More, a blend of story and science to inspire weight loss and well-being. Lots of good tidbits and actionable health bites that I'm super excited to share. Talk to you again next week.